0: Test. Test. All right. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know if anybody's been watching the news. I've been making fun of my Tennessee friends because they got six inches of snow, and of course everything shut down for a week. I mean, schools, governments. Uh, Kroger, which is the owner company of Fred Meyers, they ran out of milk they ran out of bread Um, and then by Tuesday it's supposed to be 65 degrees it's just such a difference compared to what we endure here, but I've been making fun of them because of how the complaining has been, they're like, oh, two days and it got down to zero I'm like, yeah a few years ago I might have had sympathy, but Scott I don't have sympathy for them anymore we may not see above 30 degrees for like seven months here or something like that. So it's just a difference. I hope everybody's having a good start to their week. Days are getting longer. Temperatures are dropping. That's not really the way we want it to go, but that's okay. It's just a good... do what? No snow... you know, it. so I didn't know this until I moved here. It's the first time I heard the term, oh no, it's going to be too cold to snow. <laughs> Yeah, that was a term I'd not heard. And I thought that I thought people were joking with me. And no, that is a true thing. Too cold to snow. That's cold, by the way, if you want in Tennessee terms, that's cold. All right. Everybody in and settled? Let's open in a word of prayer. Loving Father, as we begin a day, a day that we've dedicated to spend time together as a family to worship you. We're thankful for a time we have before that time of worship where we can dive into your word. We hope this morning that each of us will spend time listening to what your word says to us, That your guide, our thoughts, and our comments, and you'll help us gain from your word the things you want us to learn. May we apply your word each and every day. May it truly be a guide in our lives. Lord, please help my comments and the way that I guide this discussion in class this morning. We just thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word, whole, complete, perfect, and that we have such access to it. May we never take that for granted, but truly appreciate the the great blessing that that is. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, We're going to be in Joshua 6. That's where we're going to spend some time. My uh, Tennessee family... I keep reminding them. My mom, bless her heart, she can't get the time difference right. And so she thinks it's 3 in the afternoon instead of because it's noon there because it's 9 o'clock here. She, so I apologize. My phone is going to be buzzing a little. She's giving me updates on some puppies that were born and things that don't matter. But she thinks it's 3 in the afternoon so that she can do that right now. Um, all right. So uh, last week we got the children of Israel across the Jordan. And we, I thought, had one of our best discussions um, in a class that I've taught about memorial and about remembering and about the value of that and what God set forth and the purpose. And this week, we're going to kind of take the children of Israel to war, so to speak. This week, we're going to see God working through a a different way uh, as the children of Israel now are in the promised land, right? And they are now going to start taking over. City by city. Now, we're not going to go through all of that. We're going to study uh, this week Jericho and Ai and Achan, and then we're going to uh, jump to some other stories from the Old Testament, uh, move forward to some of the kings and that sort of thing. So, All right, Uh, so Anchorage is known as a town that has a very strong military influence, right? We have two huge bases here. They've been here for a long time. They've been combined into one. I've been told about 20 percent of families here are either current or former military or excuse me 20 percent of people either current or former military and about one in three families have a connection to the military. And so I know there are some brilliant military minds in the audience, okay? So if you're gonna go to war And you're going to take over a well-fortified place. What are some things, what are some ways you might do that? Give me some strategies or some ideas of how you might conquer something like that. All right, cut off the resources. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't let them have food, water. Don't let them have whatever. Okay, good. What else? Element of surprise. Don't let them know you're coming. That's a great one. What else? Look for the weakest spots, right? You certainly wouldn't attack their strongest spot, right? I mean, if you knew that going into it, you would avoid the strongest spots. Go for the weakest spots. Good. What else? Oh, now that's an interesting one. Say that again. Pray. You know, we're going to see a strategy today that um, they didn't lay siege and cut off the elements, and they certainly didn't have the element of surprise, and they didn't go for the weakest spots. In fact, they went for the most fortified city. We're going to see God do something that's not a military strategy, but we are going to talk about God's role in that and maybe some of the things we should do when preparing. Why in the world doesn't God, why doesn't God lay siege to the city or why doesn't God say, okay, I'm going to make sure they don't know you're coming or why doesn't God say, let's go for the weakest city? What in the world is going on that God is going to go towards Jericho and attack the strongest, most fortified city And do it almost immediately and let him know he's coming. Why in the world is God doing that? As a military leader, we wouldn't do that. So why is God doing it? To show his power. To prove to his people. So let's go back just a few days. Joshua now is leading the children of Israel. God says, this is what I'm going to do with the Jordan River. And he says, when I do what I'm about to do over the next little while, is going to do several things. Okay? Do you remember what he said he was going to do for Joshua? Well, what he was going to do? He was going to show the children of Israel that he was God. It's very similar to what he said to Moses, right? He was going to demonstrate to the children of Israel that Joshua is his mouthpiece, his leader. And do you remember when we go back? God said something to Moses, and He also says this to Joshua. Remember what God said to Moses? What He said, Moses, I'm going to establish that I'm God, right? So the children of Israel know I'm God. I'm going to establish that you're going to be my mouthpiece, and He was going to do a third thing, and the Egyptians will know that I am God, right? So God's got three goals here that He's going to accomplish. And the reason he's doing it the way he's doing it is he wants to accomplish all three goals. So what do we know about the city of Jericho? Mm -hmm. Anybody know anything about the city of Jericho in general? Surrounded by walls. Is that what I heard over here? Surrounded by walls. Good. Uh Big, small. Go ahead, Tony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The people have so Jericho is a fortified city. In fact, historians say the walls were so powerful, it was so strong, it was deemed. It could not be breached; they were big enough, they had chariot races around the tops of the walls, okay, so I don't know how wide a wall has to be to have multiple chariots wide racing around it, but it's not going to it's going to be more than ten or fifteen feet wide right and you're talking about it at a time from a military standpoint, we don't have catapults that we know of at this point, maybe the Roman army you know was going to come up with stuff six hundred years later, but nothing at this point. You know we don't have uh devices that are going to breach that. we certainly don't have anything that flies or blows up right so you're talking about a city that is very well fortified okay very powerful right This is a city that generally didn't worry about being attacked, but in this case, they're found walled up in the city, tremoring in fear because they had already heard remember God's three goals so the people of Israel know that God is God. They watched the Jordan River. They know that Joshua was in charge because they watched what Joshua did. And his third goal is to make sure those other people, other nations, identified him as God. Right when he said that to Moses, these people knew God was coming, and they were scared. These people who weren't scared of other armies, they weren't scared of being defeated, but they were scared. Now all of a sudden, this fortified city is trembling. That's pretty neat that God accomplished that, and he's about to complete that. So what are the instructions? So let's go through the story, if you know it. God says to Joshua, and then Joshua passes on to the people, uh, most of the story. Um, he says, I'm going to give Jericho into your hands, and he gives them instructions, and they're, they're pretty specific. So he gives them instructions to, to write, to blow up the walls and preach, that, you know, he gives them instructions, he says, you know what, I'm God, I'm going to give you this marvelous new tool, this weapon, Now. I'm going to strike them with disease and pestilence. No. I'm going to give them famine. No. What is God's great military instructions to the children of Israel? March around one time for six days. And to really intimidate them, you're going to yell. No. Mm -mm. You're going to be quiet, not say a word, march around the city once, go back to your camp, go to sleep. Now, I've not been in the military, but as you know, I worked on the base for a while and I had to do what was called readiness to get people ready to go to war. So we had to have uh, all of our providers and nurses ready to be. We never once said, so the best way to do that is to march for a few minutes and then go go rest and just kind of stay quiet. I mean, that's really strong military. But again, God's goal isn't just defeat. He could do that through any number of ways, right? We'll see later that God could have sent one angel, right? City would be wiped out. God could have struck him with a disease, entire city dead. But he's going to show the children of Israel and other nations. He's going to demonstrate what's going on. So they march around the city one time, certain way, the priests, the trumpets, that sort of thing, one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, I want you to do something different. March around it. Alright. Multiple times. Anybody remember how many? Seven, yeah. And then you're going to attack. No. Nope. Our coup de grace is yell. Kind of reminds me of the story of Gideon, right? Gideon, you don't have a big enough army. Let's get down to 300 people and yell at them and smash a pot. Right? Brilliant military strategy. right? And God tells Joshua, when you do this, the city will be utterly destroyed. The walls will come down. But if you'll notice, Joshua does not tell the people that. So the people go out there not knowing for sure what's going to happen and they do exactly what God tells them to do and God delivers Jericho into their hands I think it's a great story we um I don't know in the in the south for like VBS we sing a song about Jericho you know and the walls came tumbling I don't know if y'all sing that way up here in the frozen tundra but um so what story do you think okay, this is a great kids story but we've talked about what story what what lessons do you learn when you think about this story and you think about the way it plays out? What lessons can you learn from the story of Jericho? Boy, that's a great lesson. To do things the way God wants them done. I have down a couple of them tied together. One is, uh, you know, obedience matters. That might be a... Yeah. To do things the way God wants them done. Um... Does this plan make sense? No. Is it what any human would have put out there? No. Did the children of Israel know the walls were going to come down? Apparently they didn't. We see that what God tells Joshua, and then Joshua gives the command and they do it. Those children of Israel, I mean, they kind of stepped out there and thought, big city, I'm walking around here. Any reason why? I don't know, but God said do it. We talked about this last week and a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes God wants us simply to walk out in faith. He doesn't want you to ask why. He doesn't need you to understand the background. He just wanted the children of Israel, let's put it boldly, to shut their mouths and walk around the city once a day for six days, right? Right? In fact, he told them, shut your mouth and be quiet and don't say a word. I want you to do what I told you to do. That's what God said. He wanted them to step out in faith. And I think one of the lessons is that walking by faith, right? Walking by faith, doing exactly what God said is always rewarded. Right? It's always rewarded. So did the children of Israel defeat the city of Jericho? I'm asking that as a trick question. Did the children of Israel defeat the city of Jericho? No, they didn't. Yeah. Did the children of Israel conquer the city of Jericho? No. God did. But he gave them the city of Jericho. He said, okay, you did what I asked you to do. Here you go. Walking by faith is always rewarded. You know, the other thing is we talked about God had a purpose behind why he did the ten plagues and the death angel and the Red Sea because remember he had all those purposes he was trying to accomplish wanted the children of Israel to know he was God to know that Moses was his mouthpiece but he wanted other people to know certain things again here we are at Jericho God has a bigger picture than what the children of Israel because the children of Israel are like we have a city we need to defeat it God's like okay I'm going to bring that about but I also have a hundred other cities that need to know I'm coming Because fear on the battlefield is a powerful tool. Right? Do the other cities hear about Jericho? Yeah. They try to make alliances. They get scared. They try to prevent the children of Israel from coming. And I kind of think, you know, sometimes the lesson there, when we talk about doing it God's way is the right way, is because we don't see the same picture that God sees. You know, God in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 You know, (laughs) my ways are higher than your ways. And not just a little bit, right? He kind of says, you don't even realize how much higher my ways, my wisdom, my thinking is than yours. And that means that sometimes God doesn't say, okay, Stephen, I want you to do X. And I want you to do it because of this. And over here, I'm doing that. And over here, I'm doing that. Sometimes he says, Stephen, I want you to do X. I want you to shut up and walk around the city. But God, that doesn't make sense. Shut up and walk around the city. But I want to do... How about you shut up and walk around the city? Right? Close your mouth and walk around the city. I've asked you to walk around the city. Why can't you walk around the city? Because he has a bigger picture of what he wants to accomplish. And it's tough for me, because like most humans, who do I think is the center of the universe? Right? Yeah. I mean, we were all teenagers at once. And every teenager assumes they stand still and the right the world's moving around them right but most of us don't grow out of that because when something happens in our lives well, why is it happening to me right? why did I get this diagnosis why did my wife do this why did this relationship fall apart why did this financial things happen because it's all about me I don't always think well maybe it's about my family Maybe it's about my neighbor. Maybe it's about the church. Maybe it's about somebody I've never met. Right? As Americans, we're really bad at this. I'm not going to bash America, but really, I mean, the center of the universe is America, right? We're the most powerful country. We're the most prosperous country. We're the best country. Three-fourths of the world would argue about that. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. But because we're Americans, it's all about me. Maybe God is using America for something great. Maybe he is going to destroy America for something great. Maybe he's going to make anybody. I don't know. But what I do know is it's not all about me. It's not all about America. God sees things differently, bigger, more powerful. I've actually thought recently uh, it with the Wednesday night class that uh, Russ is teaching about the you know the, the autopsy of the church, and we've talked about Anchorage and that sort of thing. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll think it's all about the Anchorage church, right? I mean, it's all about... I, the Anchorage church needs to be 100, 500, 1,000 people, you name the number. And God may purely say, I don't care. What I care about is souls in heaven. And if that's in Anchorage or Seward or the lower 48 or up in Fairbanks, or maybe there's two churches in Anchorage... I, God has a much bigger picture than just me, and he has a much bigger picture than just the Anchorage Church, and our job is not to figure out what God's exact way of working. Our our job is to follow what God says. Do what God's telling us to do. Now, that's easier said than done, right? Because sometimes he asks us to do things that aren't comfortable, or fine, or simple, but when I thought about my lesson out of this as well, I said, you know, when I think about for we'll say the we'll say church growth, right? We're gonna Tony and I have talked about ways we want to try to help this church grow. Wednesday night that class is gonna be about how do we help this church grow. We had a deacons meeting last spring about ways to help the church grow. Then there was a ladies' meeting, and then there was an all church meeting. Um if we're not careful, what we do is we spend a lot of time preparing for, like, church growth. But we may not spend enough time praying about church growth. Right? We'll spend a lot of time, you know, training up. You know, what, what program are we going to start? Let's train people to do that. And maybe we should spend more time, you know, in Bible study and teaching. You know, maybe instead of making a list about how to make the church, tr- maybe we spend a little more time with thanksgiving and appreciation about what we have you know maybe about hype okay everybody ready we got this program get up you ready court maybe instead of hype we should be more about humility you know when we talk about the fact that god does things differently and he has a different plan i'm not saying church programs aren't important i'm not saying planning's not important i'm not saying making a list preparation getting everybody excited all those things are important but it's god that's going to do whatever he's going to do And so we need to not forget that side of it, aligning what we're going to do with God's will. And that alignment may mean that this church in a year is 1,000 people. It may mean this church in a year is planting churches elsewhere, and it's the same size or smaller than it. Maybe this church is going to be a church that sends out missionaries, and that's the growth God. I don't know. But what I do know is if we take God out of that, right? if we make this about an organization rather than a church, if we make this about couple good leaders are going to come up with a plan rather than the leader, really, that we're supposed to be following. We have to be careful. God has a different picture. God has a different plan. It's not all about me. It's not all about the Anchorage Church. It's not all about the United... It's about His kingdom. And He does things differently. Sometimes He does it traditional, and sometimes He has you walk around the city six times. I mean, for six days, and then on the seventh day, shout once, right? And so what I want to make sure is that we view what we're doing under the context of what God's doing, and that we make plans under the context of God help us do what you want us to do. I've actually been criticized because I've prayed, and I pray it often, i pray prayed in my personal prayers, and I pray it from the pulpit, God, if we're doing the wrong thing, defeat us, Right? I've had people say, you shouldn't pray that God would defeat us. I'm like, yes. If I'm going down a pathway I don't want to go, I hope God drops a rock right there. I hope he puts a wall up. I hope he has somebody come up to me and say, Stephen, don't do that. Maybe I'll get robbed when I go down that back pathway and I get beat up and I don't get to go to the end because he knew at the end is not where I needed to be, right? Maybe we should pray for guidance, but we also should pray for defeat. When we're doing things we shouldn't, we should pray equally. Now, militaristically, if you're going to defeat Jericho praying might not have been on the list by any military leader, but it sure should be if you're going to be part of God's people, right? Sorry, I was, uh, several things thrown together. I haven't given you a chance to comment. Questions or comments? Yes, sir. Oh, man, Rahab. So, I was talking about how this is recorded to give us a bigger picture, right? We see God's plans. And Bob, Rahab. Now, Bob, we shouldn't talk about Rahab. She's a prostitute. We can't talk about her. I mean, she's a bad person, right? And God would never use someone like that to accomplish his will and certainly not put them in the lineage of his son. Wow, she's listed. Oh, man. And she's listed in the, wall, in the Hall of Faith, right? Hebrews. So how does Rahab fit into this? So everybody knows the story. The spies go in to spy out the land. And as they're leaving, they need to escape. They need to hide. And this woman recognizes it, but connects with them. And she says something that Tony pointed. She says, we've heard about your God, right? We've heard about this God of yours and what he's done. What he did on the other side of the Jordan over there. We know he's coming. And she hides him. And she she asks for something in return. Will you spare my family? Because she is already convinced right then and there, this whole city is going to be gone. So how does Rahab fit into this? Why is she even mentioned? She's not an Israelite. She's not one of God's chosen. Why is Rahab mentioned in this story? I bet Bob has some ideas, but he asked the question, so he can't answer first. You can't answer, but not quite yet. And I think that's a powerful statement. So God will use anybody, right? God can and will use anybody, right? I think that's one of the things, there's no doubt. We've seen God use, and we, when we talked about some of the other stories, God can use ungodly people that don't even turn to him, right? Don't we see rulers in the old testament that God raises up and makes them powerful for the whole purpose of defeating somebody or to humbling somebody or taking somebody into captivity? But God, why would you do why are you using them? Big picture, right? Big picture. Right? So I think that's a great one. God can use anybody. What else? Scott? Hmm. So, so Scott says, you know, she confesses something here. You know, f- from what she's seen, what she's heard, we don't know the backstory. It, it's not really relevant. But she says, your God is the real God. We know what He can do. Now, I've heard explanations about Rahab the prostitute. She wasn't really a prostitute. That's a. Ter- it really was a hotel. Oh, it was a hotel, all right. There's no doubt. There were beds there, okay? There's no doubt. She was a prostitute that sold either herself or other women for sex. Let's make sure we clarify. This was not, oh, she's giving... No, that's what she did. But yet here, she is saved. Now... We don't have a church established here. We don't have baptism established here. What we have is God intervening in people's lives. What we do know is there are people outside of the children of Israel that were in good standing with God because we see interactions with them. And Rahab brings herself into good standing with God because she recognized God as God. Right? Her faith said, God is the true God. Yeah, he's going to defeat us. And God rewarded that. He saved her. What else? And I think going along with that, it's a statement of it didn't matter that she was a prostitute. Right? Oh, what a terrible life. What a terrible thing. What a terrible sin. Now that is applicable to us. Again, Rahab doesn't have baptism, forgiveness. I don't know what her standing is in eternity. But I can read Hebrews and probably get a pretty good idea, right? So it didn't matter about that sin or that life or those choices or those. None of that mattered when God said, nope, I recognize what you're doing. I'm going to save you and your family. That's you know, There's a whole other story there, which we won't get into. But her confession, I don't know whether her, the rest of her family made that confession or recognized God or not. But I do know they were saved because of it. Because of her faith, a whole family was saved. We're about to read a story about because of someone's sin, a whole family was wiped out. Now we read a story about because of her faith, whether the others believed or not, I don't know, but I know God saved them. That was the power in her making that confession. So, Bob, why do you think Rahab is listed here? Yes. Yes. The activity mm mm-hmm. yep. Rahab is listed. <laughs> So I agree with what Bob said. So let me kind of summarize it a little. And and I'm going to say this. You didn't quite say this. Um, I've read some commentaries, and this may be the case, that the story of Jericho is not about the story of Jericho. They will take over hundreds of cities. Very few of them do we see the detail that we see about the way they take over Jericho. The story of Jericho is the story of Rahab. Why is Rahab included? Why are these details included? And we look at Rahab, who does marry Israelite, right, who ends up with a son, Boaz, who ends up in, oh wait a minute, is that an important name? Yeah, it is, right, who ends up in Hebrews as the the hall of fame, the hall of faith, right? See, we see Rahab mentioned, Jericho doesn't come up anymore. Did the story of Jericho matter? Well, I do think it accomplishes the things we talked about, but perhaps the the impact of this is, yeah, I'm going to deliver Jericho, but guess what? I'm going to deliver the world. And it's going to come through this little person in the corner of the city that nobody thought about, who made a confession of faith, who ends up marrying someone, who ends up in the lineage, and I'm going to bring about salvation to the world. And we do know, based on Hebrews, she's a witness cheering us on, Right. So if I interpret that, which I do, to mean she's a witness in heaven. She's one of the people with God who's up there going, you can do this, Stephen. You can do this. Come on. You got this. The story of Jericho may not be about Jericho at all. It could be any city. It's about Rahab. And God's bigger plan. I do like, you said something there that I hadn't thought about. The people recording this story probably were really happy with the way Jericho was defeated. Let's show future generations the way God defeated Jericho. Nothing wrong with that. And God's going, yeah, but really what I'm going to show them is the way I'm going to bring about a much bigger story through this person in the corner that nobody would have thought was worth any time. Is a terrible person who doesn't matter. And they're certainly not one of my chosen. But look at what they're going to do through their lineage. And maybe the story of Jericho is purely the story of Rahab. Is that a fair sort of summary of what you were saying? The bigger picture. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's true. They're going to connect her to David because that was going to be their king. Right. David is the king. Man after God's own heart. Not realizing that later there's a bigger connection. Yeah. That is a good point. It's a good question, but it leads to that. Uh, And that is, you know, does, is it, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, so, so Jericho, right, everything in Jericho was to be either destroyed or dedicated to God, right? So we see that language. We, we talk about that dedicated, that sacrifice to God, the gold and the silver, that stuff is dedicated to God. But there was one other thing that was set aside and protected because it was either you had two choices with what we did at Jericho, right? We're going to talk about this with Achan. You're either going to destroy it or these things you're going to dedicate to God. The gold and the silver, everything else is to be destroyed except Rahab and her family. Well, that means it's being set aside as dedicated to God, and her life. She goes from whatever life, right, whatever ethnic and whatever culture and whatever family and friends is her and her immediate family are brought out, and their life is upended. It's changed, but it's dedicated to God. It's in a sacrifice to God that ends up then bringing about. Um, I don't know. How, I don't know how to say that. The, when we sacrifice to God, it pleases God, and he does something with it. Well, Rahab, he does something with. He connects her now to an Israelite, brings about Boaz. We get down to David. We get down to Jesus. Right? So that is neat. I hadn't thought about the, the temple language with Jericho, and everything you know, was either destroyed or sacrificed, right, set aside for God, and Rahab was one of those things. That's a pretty neat analogy to think about. She's set aside for God, and boy, does he, does God lift her up, so to speak, right? This prostitute is now praised in the line of David for the Israelites, and then eventually, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the six days, and then the seventh day the one time around the city then the six times and then the seven trumpets then the shout on the seventh time remember seven and it's it's semblance and because it comes from Genesis right and the creation (coughs) excuse me (coughs) I've been talking too much I apologize so all of that is supposed to throw you back to that Genesis reference and push you forward to temple reference right Good comment. What else? Court? Mm-hmm. mm That's a great point. Rahab is a reminder of our own story. And you, of course, alluded through to John and woman, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Um, and how did Rahab, you know, did she earn her safety? No. You know, she didn't buy it with some amount of gold. She didn't earn it through defeating somebody. But she made a confession of faith that then saved her, and the idea that God saved her and set her aside—you know, she's now got a new life, upended, completely new. That—that's very similar to what happens with us. The one thing I might challenge a little—I loved your comments. You're like, you know, we may not have had quite as bad of a life as the life, you know, Rahab the prostitute. But I would say everyone, and, and that's part of the problem is I look at my life and I think, well, before, I mean, I was young. I grew up in the church, right? Was I ever really lost or did I just one day realize I need to be baptized? And I think the difference is Rahab knew she was lost. She was defeated. She was going to death. And I think I have to realize that so was I. My life was just as filthy as a prostitute's life. Oh, that's terrible. No, it's not. Yeah, but it's it's hard to admit that. But my life, when God saw Rahab, he didn't see anything different than Stephen. But she was a prostitute. So? Yeah. Filthy is filthy. Yeah. Do you want ten layers of mud or eight layers of mud and two layers of dried dirt? Or you want five layers of mud? It doesn't matter. Filthy is filthy, right? And, uh, yeah. And then one other, so... Did the children of Israel, did they earn this defeat, right? I mean, after all, they did march. I mean, that's a lot of work, right? And then they shouted when they were told to shout. So they really earned the victory over Jericho, right? And I think this is a good illustration for us, because there's always this debate about do we earn our salvation, right? Is baptism a work? And I'll make it very clear, no, we don't earn ours. but you had to be dipped in water. Yeah, they had to shout, oh, so by all means, they earned the victory over Jericho. No, 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 no. There's nobody there who thought the Israelites are powerful and we defeated Jericho. There's nobody there who thought, well, because of our great might, we defeated... Nope. They all knew God had done it. Yes, we marched. Yes, we shouted. That didn't mean we earned it. And I think as Christians, it's very clear. Baptism's not a work. Baptism isn't what saves. Oh, yes, baptism is 100% necessary to be forgiven. But God's free gift of salvation... Right Now... You have to shout once to get it, right? You have to march to get it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, but that doesn't mean you earned it. That doesn't mean it was your goodness. It wasn't the strength of their shout, it wasn't the strength of their march. It was God going, Here's your gift. I just need you to walk around the city once a day and then and yell. Yell what I tell you to yell. yell. Stephen, here's your gift. I need you to confess that I'm that I'm Lord. And then I need you to be baptized. Oh, I've earned it. Look at that. I earned my way to heaven. No, nope. It's just as silly to think that though, isn't it? Yeah. I've earned my way to heaven. So Alright, I don't know that we can get to Aiken this week. We are on pace to finish this in twenty thirty seven. That's the so. Other comments? I don't want to start a new topic. Great comments today. Yeah. When you look at the New Testament, Tim, saying that when you see the greatest works of power, faith of Jesus, it's when it involved the belief of the people around. Right when he's he's going to accomplish something, but when it involved the apostles or the people that are trying to learn from, well, it's the same thing in the old and these stories. You know, God involved His people. I like the word partnership. It's not an equal partnership, but it's a partnership, right, uh, involved his people. Again, God did not need the Israelites, but he wanted them to be a part of this. He wanted them to participate. It was purely him, but he wanted them to do something and be a part of it and, and realize his power and, and and that not just realize his power, but that he was there with them, right? It's not just realize my power and I'm up here. Realize my power, and I'm with you, right? Realize my power, and and let's change our lives because let's live a certain way. Let's accomplish what God wants, not because He's up here, this overarching. They would do this. Oh, let's do that. He's down. God, you know, I, God's marching with them around this city, and when they shout, take down the wall. Yeah. But he did. He did expect. Some sort of participation on their part. As he does with us. Yeah. I believe in God, I have full faith in him. That's great. I wasn't baptized. I'm sorry. Hell is a terrible place. It's awful. But that but I believe in God. Well so do the demons, right? Isn't that what we're told? There's there is something we're gonna do together. Doesn't mean that we've earned it. It's a free gift from God, but it's still God. Yeah. What else? Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, Tony's saying you have to be a part of that plan, part of that partnership. Hebrew says you have a contract between two people, both have to fulfill that contract. Yeah. So, all right, great comments. Thank you, everybody. Oh, um, in three weeks, so February the 10th, I will be out. So I'm looking for a fill-in. You're welcome to do, I can talk to you about a story, or you're welcome to do your own thing, but I'll need a fill-in for that Sunday morning. Emily and I will be in Nashville. So if somebody will think about that, pray about that, let me know if you're willing. So thank you.